Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Nil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question... How can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Liz D is the co-president and co-owner of Smarties Candy Company, CEO of Belen and Bjorn Capital, a firm that's committed to investing in companies creating superior plant-based and cultured products, and founder of Vegan Lady Boss a global collective that works to empower and support vegan women in advancing their careers and animal advocacy. Now, if you were blown away just listening to that description of what Liz does, you are certainly in for a treat with this conversation. I recently got the chance to catch up with Liz and learn more about her family history in the food space and how it helped shape her passion for vegan food. During this fast-paced conversation, which we cover a lot of ground, Liz and I get into what it was like growing up in a family of candy makers and how an assignment for Smarties led to Liz's decision to go vegan. From her roots in animal advocacy, Liz explains why she decided to launch an investment firm that focuses on the plant-based and clean meat space. She also gets into the gaps she's seen in the alternative proteins market and shares why she thinks more attention needs to be paid to the oceans and seafood. We also dive into Liz's latest project, Vegan Lady Boss, and she shares how her simple idea to bring together vegan women has skyrocketed into a global movement with over 3,000 members. Liz shares inspiring success stories about how this collective has helped launch members' careers and how she hopes to continue to grow its impact in the coming years. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with Liz and walked away feeling incredibly inspired and hopeful for the future of the plant-based space. To learn more about how Liz has transformed her passion for advocacy into an impactful career and a powerhouse new organization for women, listen in. Liz D, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thank you for having me, Nell. I am delighted to be here. I'm glad we could make this happen. I um, I was thinking about where to start today. And, uh, you know, obviously the most obvious place to start would be your uh, miracle moment in 2011 when you, you know, we won't get into it right now, but that would be the easiest place because it seems like you went through this a bit of an aha moment that has changed your entire worldview and has, you know, sparked interest, passion, uh, and desire to get into a whole new space professionally and uh, socially and everything. Um, but before we get to that, right, before we get to that miracle moment, I want to kind of rewind a little bit and get into your um, uh, the, your life before that. And the reason for that is because you've got a really fascinating background, even before you got involved in the plant-based food space. And that's because your grandfather started the Smarties Company in 1949. Um 
how was that experience growing up in a family that was involved in a food business? So, thank you. Yes. Um, why take the easy road by starting with the miracle moment when we can begin at the beginning? <laughs> um, yeah, my grandfather was a third generation candy maker to begin with. And he came over to the United States by boat and started Smarties Candy Company. And he actually, at 94 years old, still lives in the same house, the very first house he moved into in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and still comes into the office every day. I was just hanging out with him earlier today, right before coming here, actually. Um, Growing up in a candy family, I thought it was normal to have unlimited amounts of candy around. And it wasn't until I began going to my friends' houses that I realized that not only did other people not just have candy bowls everywhere, their parents maybe cracked down on candy a little bit. So um, initially, yes, I will admit it maybe made me a little bit more popular than I deserved because I had so much candy and kids like that. Um, But more than that, I saw my family working together from a very young age. I saw teamwork. I also saw issues arise and saw how they dealt with it and their resilience and perseverance through things that came up both within the family and within the company. And um, it was a great model for me. I always... um, I always looked to my dad as my role model, and I imagined growing up to be just like him. I didn't realize that it was unusual for um, for a young girl to imagine themselves in the shoes of an adult man. I just thought, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to be. Um, he goes to work every morning. I'm going to go to work mm-hmm. every morning. And uh, and so I, ne- I never really imagined myself um, doing anything other than business. Uh, and, and it was a great... Uh, experience for me to have the opportunity to come to the factory, to get to know manufacturing from a very different perspective. We used to come to the factory, um, to our warehouse, actually, on Sundays when we were not producing, because we produce 24 hours a day, Monday through Saturday, we still do. And on Sundays, it's shut down. So I would go to the factory, and at that time, rollerblading was very in. And I would bring my friends. We don't do this anymore or allow this anymore, for the record. And we would rollerblade around the warehouse. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. But also, it normalized manufacturing for Mm -hmm. me. And it normalized what business looked like in the nitty-gritty parts, you know, not just the office, but also the warehouse and the factory space, which is unusual for a kid to spend a lot of time in a 90,000-square-foot facility. Yeah, but what a great opportunity, though, right, to learn uh, without even realizing you're learning. And did you have a moment that you thought I could, you could see yourself doing this as the business you were doing, or did you have aspirations to, to do other stuff? Both. So <laughs> in middle school, I began coming and doing some part-time work over the summers. I actually worked on our very first website when I was 13, and we bought Smarties.com from uh, what was previously a pornography website. So then we have this 13-year-old girl writing copy for the candy website, and imagine all the disappointed uh, viewers who (laughs) thought they were coming to see one thing, and then boom, it's a candy company um, site. But uh, yeah, so I, I began getting my feet wet in the business and, you know, doing the basics like filing and opening letters and sorting letters and things like that, faxes, um, things that we don't necessarily do so much anymore. Um, And at the time, I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed getting to know my my colleagues, who actually many of them are still my colleagues today, which is super cool. People stay for, you know, decades, 30 30 years at Smarties is not unusual. Um, So... 
I did think that I wanted to work there, but I wasn't sure as I began to pursue my education and getting my master's degree if that was something that I was ready to transition to right away. Um, I considered getting a law degree. Um, I considered academia. And then as I as I decided on getting a master's in media, culture, and communication, I was really focused in on digital media in particular, and I really enjoyed marketing and communications. So um, I came back in to the office full time, although I had been there, you know, part time since I was 13, full time in 2008. And I said to myself and to them, I want to give this five years. I don't know. I can't commit for the rest of my life. But I know that Smarties has given me so much that I love the people I work with. I love the office environment. And I want to give it five years of my undivided attention and effort and see what I can contribute here and see if it's a fit. And at about year three, I was like, yes, this is it, 100%. So you now run the company with your sister and your cousin, I believe, right? That's exactly right, yes. First time in uh, company history that we're a woman run. So I run it, yes, co-presidents with my sister and my cousin. Wow. And so did you at any point realize that you wanted to run the company or did that just sort of just happen over the years? Because that's a big leap from I want to work in the family business to now you're in charge. (laughs) Yes, Uh I don't think I stepped through the doors thinking, I want to run this company. I walked through the doors thinking, how can I make a difference here? How can I apply my skills and abilities and contribute? And it just so happened that each of the three of us carved out spaces for ourselves and took on more and more responsibility, so much so that the then president at the time, my uncle John, was like, wow, my responsibilities are really getting eclipsed by everything that you're contributing. And I really think I can see a path where I step back here. Mm. And for 30-somethings, and in my case, all of our cases, young to mid-30-somethings to be taking over this business, it's unusual. But it was less of a, this is our goal, and more of a, as we continue to contribute and take over responsibility, we ended up driving the bus without realizing that that's what we were doing. Wow. And your uncles and your uh, your dad and your grandfather were all okay with the idea? Were they on board right in the beginning, supportive? I mean, it's, it's cool that they let you take this over early, pretty early in your lives, which is uh, unheard of almost. Well, yeah. So my, my grandfather passed along responsibility to his two sons, mm-hmm. Jonathan and Michael, my uncle and father. And I think that for them, they were just waiting and seeing what was going to be a fit. You know, if it wasn't a fit for us to to take over responsibility there, then they it would be easy to outsource, you know, the presidential or CEO role. And so they just wanted to see what was going to work. And it's not just about them, of course. We needed entire company-wide buy-in because without that, I mean, everything would be – all of our efforts as leaders would be undermined. Mm-hmm. So I think a big proof of concept of us being leaders was how we worked with our colleagues. Yeah, and it's so it's so I think it's so amazing and I mean going back to the fact that you grew up in an environment that business was the norm. You went rollerblading in the warehouse on the weekends or with your friends. Uh most people have to learn business by either uh going to business school, which I I don't think is the best way to learn business. You should go if you can, but uh, the best way to learn business is to start working in a business or starting one yourself. Uh, But you literally were brought up in that environment, which, of course, it's probably going to play such a huge role in the work that you're doing now, especially when you're working with new businesses that some of which may not even have any idea about how to get started uh, and what is involved in the complexities in the food industry, especially. So, before we kind of move on and, and see where this journey took you, uh, I do want to get into what your current role is in Smarties and, and which swim lane do you take in this uh, in what is a pretty old and gigantic business? Yeah, sure. So 
Well, first of all, Smarties Candy Company is is really two businesses, and we have two factories, one in New Jersey and one in um, Newmarket, Ontario, outside of Toronto. And the role that I have, the title is co-president. But the way that we divide up responsibility is I oversee food quality and safety and communications, including marketing and digital media. And then any other larger executive type of decisions, we come together, the triumvirate, the three of us come together to discuss. Um, and as anyone who owns or runs a, and or runs a business knows, you wear pretty much every hat. I mean, I'm a janitor. I'm a contractor. I'm a dishwasher. I, I do anything that needs to get done. And I think that that's a really important thing to talk about because people think about that type of position as someone who sits behind a desk and tells other people what to do. And that's not the reality of it. At least that's not the, that's not the reality of it for me. Um, when you take ownership of something, you take ownership of it from start to finish. You get there early. You stay late. You're the one who makes sure that everything is really done to the level and expectation that meets that meets your standards. Yeah, I mean, that's I'm so happy you brought that up because a lot of people have this romanticized view of uh, being an entrepreneur and starting a business. Uh, and in the beginning, they know it's going to be hard work and everything. And then they think they're going to reach a little peak uh, and other people are going to do everything and they can just sit back and enjoy and reap the rewards. I'm pretty sure some people can do that, but that's the least fun way to do it. And it's the least... Um, you know, accountable way to be a leader, I think, at the end of the day. Um, that's just my experience. I'm sure others have seen success or failure trying that. I think it depends what everyone's mm -hmm. work ethic is and what their goals are and what's a fit for them and their abilities and their um, temperament. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear a lot about uh, smart passive income and people who also um, try to retire at an early age uh, by earning as much as they can. I think they call it fat fire on the Reddit community. Um and so there's just different models that work for different people. For me, I feel like my contribution is the best thing that I can give back to the world. And the, the way that I do that the most is through my work at Smarties. So you still love the work, I'm assuming? I still love the work. Yes. That's very important. And, and so let's get to 2011. You are now um, you were in charge of Smarties at that point? No, no. I believe I was a vice president. Okay. Yeah. So 2011, and uh, we'll get to that miracle moment I mentioned earlier in the, in the beginning of the show. Um, what happened in 2011 that changed Liz D? <laughs> okay. So in 2011, I uh, in August, I came to work. It was a Monday morning, and I had a task to do that I really didn't want to do. And as someone who has read a lot about productivity and all the different methods, one of the ideas that many people tout is do the thing that you want to do least first, and then you feel like you've accomplished something, and the inertia is kind of moving, and, and it just means that you're going to have a great productive day. So I thought to myself, okay, this is the thing I want to do least, so I'm going to do it first. So Monday morning, I come in, and I begin trying to figure out why vegans go vegan. Now, why, why was I doing that? Well, we were getting a lot of consumer questions about uh, whether Smarties were vegan, whether they were gluten free. They had lots of questions, and so we decided, okay, I'm going to add, I'm going to add a landing page to our website dedicated to the fact that Smarties are vegan and vegetarian, um, and another one for gluten free. Both of those were happening at the same time. But the thing I wanted to do least was figure out why vegans go vegan because I thought that people who were vegan were extreme and maybe a little crazy. And here I was, uh, fur wearing foie gras eating, foodie, omnivore, did not really consider where my food came from. And by that, I mean, I was eating humanely raised, happy cow type meats and organic cheeses and thinking I was doing my part. 
And I didn't actually peel back any of the layers to get a sense of how the animals were slaughtered. And uh, of course, there are a lot of layers to peel back that I didn't give consideration to. So when I began trying to figure out why vegans go vegan, it was so that I could understand what makes them tick so that I could convince them to buy my product. Very different (laughs) than what ended up happening, which was I stumbled across undercover videos of factory farming and slaughterhouses. And I saw blood. I saw horror. I saw the terror in the animals' eyes. I saw animals fighting for their lives, doing anything that they could to avoid being killed, living in horrific conditions and being abused. And I was completely shocked. I was naive. I knew that meat came from an animal. I knew it was animal body. But the whole process from an alive, happy animal to getting on my plate, i it was just a black box. And, you know, with good reason, when people see what happens, they turn – many of us, you know, decide that's not, a, that's not something I want to participate in anymore. So I saw this and I decided that I had to go vegan. <laughs> and I remember – I distinctly remember the moment because I saw – I was like, okay, I get it. I get that meat hurts animals. No duh. What about dairy and eggs? I mean, that can't be that bad, can they? But I don't know. These vegans kind of have a point. And I watched some videos about dairy and I watched some videos about eggs. And I was like, oh, man, these are even worse than the Mm -hmm. meat. I can't believe this is happening. And and I can't eat them anymore. And I loved eating these products. I mean, they taste delicious. Mm -hmm. Why? Why would anyone not eat them? Well, now I see why. Now I saw why. So um, it flipped a light switch for me. I gave away my lunch that day. And I was vegan but from that moment forward. And I went home to my husband, my then boyfriend, Nick Guerin, and I said, kind of with some trepidation, honey, I, I think I'm vegan now. And I knew it was going to freak him out. And he was The very so, same day? Yeah, that day. I went home wow. and I was like, honey, okay. I think I'm vegan now. And he looked at me and he was so cool about it. I mean, this is Nick through and through. He's, <laughs> he's sensitive and he's supportive. And he just said to me, you know, the world isn't a very vegan-friendly place, so... I want to support you in this. How about I'm not going to go vegan, which I didn't ask him to do. I wasn't like, you got to go vegan. Uh, he said, how about we ha- we are vegan at home and I'll eat vegan at home. And then when I eat out, I'll do my thing. But at home, I'm going to eat vegan because I want to support you, mm-hmm. which was amazing. So, of course, I proposed to him on the spot. <laughs> um, no, but that was Good amazing. Move. And then two weeks later, we had watched several documentaries. We watched mm-hmm. Earthlings. We watched Forks Over Knives. And that was it. He decided to also go vegan. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's uh, that's quite an unusual story <laughs> in the sense that, I mean, the fact that the way you even got the question uh, and the fact that you were the opposite of a vegan, but I guess we all were at some point, most of us at least. Um, I was similar, you know, with you in this fact that I just thought it was weird. I thought people who, who did that were didn't like food and, and were just sort of... Um, I don't know, extreme. I just didn't get it. And and you, it's so funny that mentally, emotionally, you don't make that connection. And the moment you do, you can literally flip a switch in your head and suddenly you realize everyone else doesn't get it. Um, so I, I just find that fascinating because, you know, the work that I do and the work that you're doing too now is in so many ways trying to inspire and encourage other people to see the light, or even if it is just cutting down on their meat and dairy and eggs and seafood. Um, and they learn the same facts that you learned and that I learned and many other people have learned along the way. And what, what no one disagrees that the moment you see a video of a factory farm, you read any facts about how dairy is produced or how eggs are produced, no one's okay with that. 
Now, what you decide to do next is usually where things get a little complicated, especially now when you have so much conflicting information about um, good quality animal products or uh, sustainability and even conflicting information about health and nutrition, of course. Um, but it's interesting when I thought it was simple. I, for me, when I went, once I made that connection, it didn't happen in one day. But once I made that connection... Um, it was it. It was it. I couldn't do any other thing. It was just not even an option because I. it just didn't make sense to me. It's as simple as that. I don't know why it is so tough for some people, though, um, but I would spend the rest of my life trying to fix that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a great point. Sometimes people say to me, oh, my gosh, you have such great willpower. I do not have good willpower when it comes to food. I mean, I love my desserts. I, you know, I, you know, asked about being raised in a candy family. A sweet tooth is part of it. You know, I love eating sweets and I eat what I want and I enjoy it. And yet it's not hard for me to avoid eating meat, dairy and eggs because it doesn't look like food to me anymore. And that's it. Yeah. You know, and so obviously you uh, changed things in your personal life and how you were eating food. Um, it's so good to hear that Nick was supportive pretty early on, but not surprised having met Nick. Um, he seems like a pretty easygoing guy. Um, but it's amazing about what happened next is and you just didn't go continuing to do what you did uh, in Smarties, which I think you've done. But you then started to get involved in activism and animal advocacy and the vegan food space eventually. So what was the first next thing you did um, that made you involved in this this world that we kind of exist in now that is growing every day faster than we can imagine? Yes. So next steps were was the first step was information. I was just consuming so much information, watching every every documentary, listening to podcasts that were available. One at the time that was really important to me was Colleen Patrick Goodrow's podcast. Mm -hmm. um, but I was listening to the Our Hen House podcast and many others. And I was, as I said, reading books and reading articles, watching videos, and just trying to understand really what was happening out there because I felt that I'd been duped by the food system, and I wanted the truth. And I wanted to understand why veal has to be a byproduct of the dairy industry. And I wanted to understand why male chicks are killed right away as, quote-unquote, byproducts of the egg industry. And I wanted to dig down and dig down. And part of that maybe was thinking, well, there's got to be some farmer out there who's doing it right. Maybe I can eat the products that come from them. And I could not find one farmer who was not harming animals to produce animal products because at the end of the day, treating animals as units of production harms animals. Um, so that was the first step. And then I began doing a lot of grassroots advocacy. So I started by leafleting. I'm going to pause you, interrupt you there quickly on the fact that what you just mentioned before this. Do you think in some ways your upbringing and understanding food manufacturing helped you make that connection that if an animal is now a unit uh, and you've seen how candy is produced. Imagine animals in that place. Uh, what that would look like was that ever that something that came up in your mind? Even subconsciously, it probably did. I think it did, but I didn't. I've never thought about it like that. So mm -hmm. thank you for bringing that up. I really do think it did because every day we make decisions that are imperfect. Mm -hmm. You know, it's complex when you're dealing with uh, factory production, and we do the best that we can. And thankfully, you know, our product is awesome, you know, shameless plug and, and such, a, you know, food safety. It's a dream. Everything is great. Um, but you still make difficult decisions. And that's just candy. 
That's mm-hmm. not animals. That's not animals who are sick on your farm and you're trying to figure out, well, are they too sick to sell the meat or, you know, can I can I get away with this? Or, you know, let, now I'm going to have to kill uh, the 100,000 chickens in this one shed because they all got sick or yeah. whatever. So um, absolutely. Thinking of animals as units of production and the, the, the parallels there with my background in manufacturing probably did accelerate that understanding and that acknowledgement of really the mistreatment. Yeah, because at the end of the day, if you're mass producing anything, <laughs> you're going to have to cut corners. You're going to have to make some tough decisions. And we're talking about things that live, breathe, poop, and uh, get sick right? Um, and uh, feel fear and all kinds of things. So you're dealing with I just th- you think of the scale at which we produce this, and then you uh, sort of zoom out and and wonder what that what actually happens behind those closed walls. I guess we see them in those YouTube videos now. Um, it is just astounding that it still continues. Um, and I guess that brings us to the point where we know it is starting to shift a little bit. But anyway, I, I didn't. I thought it was an important point to bring up because of your unique background. But uh, what did what else did you get involved in, and and kind of what was that next step really like? So yes, thank you. I started with grassroots activism. Mm-hmm. So I was leafleting. I would get up and go leaflet at my local train station at the time I was living in New Jersey before going to work. So I'd get to work by eight, but I'd be leafleting at like six thirty a.m. before going to work, like super grassroots. And I loved. And it. were you an activist in any way before this? Were you involved in other social causes, and at least in such a you know direct way? I was. I was in. I was interested in human rights, mm-hmm. um, global poverty, and LGBTQ advocacy and activism. Um, and yet I had never done anything quite like this. Mm. I had never leafleted before, which, uh, for those of you who have never leafleted before, it's, it's kind of scary. It's not like my personality lent itself to that. I'm an introvert. Uh, but I felt like I was doing something that made a difference and it was great to have those conversations. It was also really good practice to speak with people with whom I didn't necessarily get along, which is incredibly important. I mean, I could Mm -hmm. preach to the choir all day long. That's really fun. But is that going to move the needle? So I did that. I also set up pay-per-view stations. I was volunteering along at that time with Mercy for Animals, Mm. and they equipped me with everything that I needed to essentially pay people a dollar to watch uh, videos like uh, glass walls, if slaughterhouses had glass Mm. walls, et cetera, um, or meet your meat. And so we would just set up a tent in Union Square and uh, see who would come by who wants a dollar. And some people would say, I'm going to I'm going to use this dollar to go to Burger King afterwards and get a burger. And I just say, OK, here, here's the headphones and here's the screen and let's press play and see what you're saying afterwards. And, and so many people had changes of heart yeah. right then and there, just like I had. I'm not saying everyone did, but that um, that felt like I was really doing something. And I'm glad that I did it. Yeah, I mean, here you were executive vice president, I'm assuming at that point at Smarties Company, but you're out there and putting yourself out there and leafleting, talking to people who don't really want to talk to you um, and probably want to argue with you. Uh, it's a pretty interesting, bold step, I must say. Most I haven't done that, to be honest. You know, I haven't taken that step. We but, should uh, go. We should go this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I would love that experience, especially. You know, I love the idea of talking to people who don't agree with me. Um, I wish I get more opportunities in my day to do that. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that's that's important, and, and you know, not to get too off track. But I think that's part of the problem in this country right now is that, at the heart of it. Most people's reactions to people they don't agree with or the ideas that they don't agree with, whether it's politically, uh, when it comes to food, when it comes to religion, it's usually because they haven't been exposed to those ideas and that way of thinking or people who think those things. And as a result of that, they're just uh, consumed mostly with fear, I think. Uh, and fear guides their decisions. But 
when you have a face-to-face conversation with someone who's a seems like another pretty decent human being for the most part, um, I can't generalize. Some people aren't. Um, you realize that we're all kind of just the same, and we just have different ways of of coming to things. And uh, you know, because your background or your experience isn't the same as mine, we may have arrived at different things. Um, but given the chance to talk, at least we can appreciate and understand each other, and perhaps even change each other's minds. You never know. Um, yeah. I think that's just not. It doesn't happen enough in our society. Um, and, and and to be honest, I've traditionally in the past thought that uh, going on the streets and protesting, and I know this is not protesting, this is educating. Uh, I thought that was not necessarily the most effective way because I've, I've said this many times, is that you can't change people's minds if you're yelling at them. Um, but leafleting and doing what you were doing in terms of showing them videos and the, and the $1 campaign was just brilliant. And I'm so glad to hear you were part of it. I had no idea. Thank you. Yes. Well, I think I agree with you. And to your point, it's easy to stay disconnected and hide behind our screens and only talk to the people who agree with us. But living in a in or near at the time I was living near New York City, so I would load up my car and drive into Union Square and set it up. But now living in New York City, there are amazing people everywhere we look. And it's we're just one hello away from getting to know another person who probably has so much more in common with you than you would think. And when you do have things that you would disagree on, it's an opportunity to to hear one another out and talk about it. Now, I didn't get into a lot of debates with people. I definitely kept my energy. um, I preserved my energy to speak with people who I thought actually wanted to hear Mm -hmm. what I had to say. I'm not interested in talking to someone Uh, talking at someone. I'm interested Mm -hmm. in having a conversation. But through speaking with hundreds of people over, you know, the many days that I did this, you get a sense of who's more receptive. And so many people we would find would be just right there almost at the tipping point. And those were kind of the the gifts that they would come and they'd be like, oh, man, I've been meaning to do vegetarian for a while. Yeah, I want to watch this video. Thank you so much. I mean, come on. That's like home run city. So (laughs) you get a lot of that. We got a lot of that. And that was so invigorating and kept Mm -hmm. me optimistic. And uh, yeah, I loved it. That's great. And then so obviously you went from being um, Liz D from the Smarties Company to now this this uh, animal activist in a big way. Um, When did you start thinking that Beyond convincing people that they need to change the way they eat or learn about factory farming and what really goes on so they can examine their food choices, when did you start turning your attention to the food industry and the the fact that we can come up with supply-side solutions um, to tackle the problem? Because, of course, convincing people to, to eat vegan or to, or to learn about factory farms is tackling the, the demand-side problem. How did that come about, and and what was who was was the person responsible for it, or you just kind of naturally arrived there? Okay, I will I will t- tell you that, and I'll back up just a little bit to say that you know you describe me as Liz D animal advocate, advocate, no activist. You said, which I appreciate, and I think that's I I like that a lot. I think that what helped me begin to create the things that I'm working on now was understanding and expressing and really thinking about my life's purpose. And that involved a lot of in, uh, introspection, a lot of writing. And I decided that my life's purpose was to alleviate human and non-human animal suffering. And so I began to see the work that I do at Smarties as a piece of the puzzle. And I began to see the advocacy for animals that I was doing as a piece of the puzzle. And I wanted to see what else I could do. And I met someone um, on vacation, randomly enough, who did impact investing. Mm. And impact investing was something that I had never considered. 
uh, I didn't know anyone else who had done it. And um, I realized that it was something that once I made enough money, I could do too. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, look at these companies creating these great alternatives to animal products. Wouldn't it be great to invest in the next, the next beyond, you know, the next Hampton Creek, now called Just, of course. And uh, so it was 2016 in January that my husband and I co-founded Belen and Bjorn Capital. And it was, you know, because I realized that this was so needed to fund the future of food. And I knew that my advocacy was going to get people somewhere. It was it was important. I knew that donating to not-for-profits was incredibly important. But I also knew that the other piece of the puzzle, the innovation, the economic drivers, was going to be vitally important to alleviate both human and non-human animal suffering. So uh, that's that's that was an epiphany that I had. And I distinctly remember having this conversation. It was November 25, uh, 2015, right before we founded the, the company Belen and Bjorn Capital. And I, I was at the Humane Society Gala, and I just said to someone, you know, I want to do this. I want to do impact investing in, in vegan plant-based <laughs> companies. And they were like, oh, well, you know who you have to talk to? You have to talk to Chris Kerr. <laughs> okay. And and so Bruce Friedrich, Chris Kerr, Nick Guerin, and I had mm-hmm. a call, and we talked about what's happening in the space. And here I was thinking, we are the only people doing this. And I realized very quickly that it was a fertile time for people moving into the space. That was right when Stray Dog Capital uh, began. It was right when New Crop Capital began. So, and and I heard about all of the companies beginning to create these products and entering into the space that they knew about that no one else knew about. It was, you know, privileged information. And I began to cry on this, my very first very businessy phone call with Chris and Bruce. I began to cry of happiness. <laughs> and that does not happen very often for me, I have to say. Um, but I was so relieved and I was so excited and so moved that this is doable and mm-hmm. that we're going to be a part of it. Yeah, that is, I love that, that, that what you just said is kind of reflects some of my feelings when I started to hear what was happening uh, in the investment community um, around plant-based food, vegan food. Um, that's because when I, you know, I started eating this way back in 2010, 2010 oh, eight years ago now, I looked at my i had the same experience in terms of reexamining my life purpose and being okay i've lived my life with certain assumptions till this point i've got to redo them now um and i've got to now dedicate whatever is left of my life to doing something different and uh my my focus was simple and still continues to be that way is that the only way to to alleviate animal suffering to save the planet to help people uh who are uh, suffering from chronic diseases as well, is food. And food is the answer to all of it. Um, now, the question is, how do you go about changing it? So my focus was, well, I can, I know my skills. So I'm going to use my skills to empower people and focus on consumers. But I started to realize maybe a couple of years in that this needed to happen faster. So, you know, when we started One Green Planet, initially I was thinking, well, if we can get enough consumers to want this stuff, then people will make products. And ironically, it just happened to be that was when Beyond Meat and Hampton Creek came about. And then in the next few years, I kept saying this to everyone, there has to be more people out there like that. And there has to be more money into this. And met Bruce before even GFI was started. Uh, Eventually met Chris as well. And I think we met, what, two and a half years ago uh, when you were first thinking about Belen and Bjorn. 
And I started to realize that something big was going to start happen now. And here we are now, two and a half years later, and I, I, I literally can't keep up with the number of people who are trying to invest in this space. I have lunch every other week with someone who's thinking, hey, who, I, who do I need to connect with? And I always connect them with Chris <laughs> because I'm like, if you've, you want to invest or you've got any money lying around or you know people have money lying around, talk to Chris Kerr and he will direct you in the right, uh, he'll tell you where to, what to do with it. I'm glad that you bring that up because Part of why we started Belen and Bjorn Capital and didn't just invest privately as individuals was that I wanted to show that this is a space that is exciting and I wanted to be public about what we were doing. And initially, so this actually speaks back to my childhood, growing up with a family business, growing up uh, rather affluent, I went to a private high school, private middle school, you know, I never discussed money with anyone, but I knew that we had it. And I thought that it was something that I wanted to keep very private, as my family had always done. But being a high net worth individual, I then later found and realized that it was important for me to stand up and say, you know what I think is important to do with my money? This. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are other high net worth individuals who haven't considered this. And maybe this could be a path that they could replicate. Because for me, I met one person who talked about impact investing, and that was it. I knew that this was a path I could go. But without that one person raising my awareness about that, how was I going to know? My family had wealth, but they'd never done that before. And I hadn't spoken with other people about it. So I thought that it was really important to speak about it. And it, it required me to get over a lot of fears that I had about being a public person because um, privacy is a luxury. And uh, I was very comfortable the way that I was before and not talking about money in the way that I do now. But now I think it's amazing to have the opportunity to say, you know what, Nick and I choose to live in a one bedroom apartment, which look, it's it's spectacular and I love it. We could afford to live in a much bigger apartment. We choose not to. We invest the rest of our money and we donate the rest of our money. And that's important to us. Mm -hmm. We decided, okay, this is the lifestyle that we're comfortable with. We don't need more than this. And so we draw the line and the rest of our wealth, the rest that we earn goes to nonprofits and goes to these companies. And that's where our priorities are. And I know there are other people who are thinking about that. And maybe just having that conversation or just hearing that other people are thinking about that as well. Obviously, it's a very privileged place to be in, but it's it's a place that is a reality for me. And it's part of why I see my role at Smarties as so important because Smarties opens doors. Smarties generates wealth. And um, Smarties normalizes what I'm doing in a, in a very real way because it's an iconic, widely known brand. And I'll just mention one thing about Smarties because I, I'm guessing you have listeners overseas. Um, we only ha have the brand Smarties in the United States. And so the candy called Smarties is only vegan in the United States. Elsewhere in the world, Smarties is not a vegan candy. It's owned by Nestle. It's like a it's like an M&M. Yeah. Um, but uh, so we have other brands that we sell outside of the U.S. Um, but I just wanted to make that distinction because that generally comes up when I when I'm in the media talking about this. That's that's um, that's a crucial one. Um, I'm glad you brought that up as well. But it's um, you know I hear you talk about this and I think uh, it's almost maybe it's a coincidence or it was meant to be that you arrived at this point where you had to examine your your own purpose and then have to figure out. You're just going to be you, and this is who you are. You happen to be born in this family. You happen to have the opportunities and the privilege that you did have growing up. 
Uh, it's now up to you to do what you want with it. And at the end of the day, you know, what it's very important. Money is a complicated issue for most people. People don't like talking about it, but it's at the end of the day, and I know this may sound a little woo-woo, but money is just energy. You can use it for good. You can waste it on, on crap that you don't need, uh, or you can go change the world with it. And the fact that you finally, you saw it and said, hey, I could, I have the power to do something with my money. I've, you've been put in this position where now you get to choose um, where you spend your time as well as your money. And that's, of course, not a situation many people have and not, not a privilege many people have. But the fact that you do and you're deciding to do this is um, I wish more people did that. Um, but of course, uh, people are free to live their life how they want to. Um, you know what your purpose is and you're living your truth, which is very important. So. One quick last point on Belen and Bjorn. Um, I'm glad I could pronounce it because when I first heard the name, <laughs> side note, I thought it was like it sounded like a cool, uh, and I mentioned this earlier, a cool Scandinavian <laughs> indie rock band. Uh, but I think you should explain what the name, where the name comes from because I think that's really, really interesting. Okay, yes, thank you. Um, so Belen and Bjorn Capital is the name of our investment company. It's my husband and I who co-founded it and it's privately funded by us. And... Uh, we wanted it to represent some, something that was very important to us. So I was a Francophile, something we didn't touch on, but I'd lived in France for quite some time um, prior to going vegan. And I also brought home foie gras for my whole family. Yeah, I was like that gourmand person. Um, but I loved I love France. I love French culture. And, and I love aquatic animals, and in particular, whales. So Belen means whale in French. And Nick is Norwegian-American. His mother was Norwegian. He actually served in the Norwegian Navy. Oh, yeah, between that. high school and college. Yeah, you should ask him about it sometime. There are some great photos <laughs> of that experience. Um, and it's part of what makes him such an interesting uh, layered person as well. But uh, he loves bears. And Bjorn is bear in Norwegian. And so Belen and Bjorn Capital is really representative of Nick, myself and Nick and our cultural roots and uh, where our heart lies in terms mm -hmm. of our quote unquote spirit animals um, yeah. for whatever, whatever that means. <laughs> but it also represents, you know, the sea and the land, which mm -hmm. are two things that need to be considered, uh, which we could talk about at great length, in particular the oceans um, now, which was always a focus for us from day one. And if I could fill our portfolio with only companies creating alternatives to aquatic animal products, I would. And thus far, we have not been able to do that, but <laughs> yeah. we have we have three and we're working on it. Yeah, so there's no coincidence, I guess, that you have uh, companies like Ocean Hugger Foods and Good Cat Foods in your portfolio. Um, and it's it's strange that no one, people don't talk about the oceans much and um, I like to bring it up every chance I get because it the ocean just seems disconnected from us. It seems like another world. Um, we don't we don't spend time in the ocean, uh, at least not where all the destruction is happening. Um, and we we then assume that it is not something we need to focus on. When I actually think the oceans are and are going to fall first if we don't fix some of our um, problems with our food system, and we don't need to go into the stats and the details around that. But I I think the fact that it just speaks to you. It's something that you and both uh, Nick have always connected with in terms of animals and your purpose and your roots culturally as well. Uh, I think I'm, it makes sense now why you called to that as well as the kind of investments you're doing. Did you ever consider um, doing, um, you know, there are many other funds you could get become a part of instead of starting one of your own. I'm assuming you're much smaller. You're sort of an angel early seed fund. Um, 
why didn't you want to partner up with, uh, say, a bigger fund and you can just give them your money and they'll do the investments? At the time, there were no funds investing the way we wanted to invest. And that's why. If there had been, maybe we would have. And now here we are. Yeah. Uh, But it's been a great journey. It's what Nick does full time. And we love it. So I think that it was really a gift that there were none. But also, I'm very glad that that's not the case anymore. Um, There were other funds that focused on food. But again, not the way that we were focused. And we don't have to talk about stats. I agree. There are a lot of other people who you've had on your podcast who've shared a lot about what's happening in our oceans and what's happening on our land. But when we think about animal lives by the numbers, when we talk about land animals, it's in the billions. And when we talk about aquatic animals, it's in the trillions. So if I could dedicate all my time and energy and resources just to aquatic animals, I would. And maybe in the future we will be able to. And whoever is listening to this, if you're an entrepreneur, an innovator, and you can focus on the oceans, there is huge white space there. Mm -hmm. So please, please, please go there, create the next blank animal aquatic animal product because we need it Uh, yeah i I totally agree and um i also noticed that you're not just focused on food you do make which is a little unusual for uh funds in this space because i and i and i do want to talk a little bit more about that if that's necessarily the right approach in the long run but why do you also invest in companies that have non-food solutions and and maybe you can talk a little bit about them as well so actually, great point to bring that up. We are now focused solely on food. Okay. At the time, we saw other reasons for why we focused on a few companies and, and, and funded a few companies who did not uh, make food products. But in, So we have a fashion company and a, uh, some tech and a textile company. But um, now we really are focused solely on food and in particular plant-based. While we have three clean meat uh, or clean technology companies, actually four now given what's going on with um, Wild Earth. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we are focused basically now on food and plant-based food in particular. Got it. And um uh... Just a last point on on non food investments. Do you think that there's um, that there needs to be more focus there? Maybe it's not yours, but but what are your thoughts on the fact that and and I've started to ask this question recently of some people is that maybe maybe everyone's focused on the same thing now and everyone's looking at plant based meats and plant based uh, you know or dairy alternatives to milk and cheese and other things. Um, and clean meat, of course, everyone's focused on that. Um, at least a few companies are focused and many investors are. I wonder if in a few years we'll realize there's just way too many companies in this space or there isn't enough opportunity um, and we need all these companies need to scale up to a certain level before any new ones come about. Um, and perhaps we also need to start taking a step back and looking at the larger ecosystem of things that need to change to bring us to a better place years from now when most people are eating plant-based um, or clean meat or whatever that is not coming from an animal that's slaughtered. Do you think there's a missed opportunity there or maybe this will just be a natural cycle? The focus is now on food. Eventually, there'll be more tech and uh, other opportunities to inform consumers, change consumer habits and things like that. Well, I can only speak for ourselves that our focus is in food. I know plenty of other funds who are willing and want to do invest in other spaces, including tech, including textile. Uh, So I can't speak to that. But I do think that it's not overpopulated in terms of the space. And what we really need is more innovation and breakthroughs in, um, in superior products. And 
I don't think that, oh, well, there's too many. We already have the Beyond Burger and the Impossible mm-hmm. Burger, so everyone should just give up and not come up with another, another veggie burger. No. We need the next best thing, and we need people to continue to raise the bar higher and higher for themselves. And the great products and the great companies will do well, and we need, we need innovators in all those spaces because there is so much room to eclipse market share from meat. Yeah. And at the end of the day, some will do better than the others. And I think the only way you make that happen is if you have enough competition. So I'm I'm with you on that point for sure. Um, Let's sort of move beyond uh, Belen and Bjorn and uh, get into some of the other exciting work you suddenly have been involved in recently that's been uh, getting a lot of attention, which is Vegan Lady Boss. Very different from what you're doing in impact investment. I wouldn't say very different from what you're doing at Smarties because that is a woman-run company at the moment. But what sparked your idea for Vegan Lady Boss? For someone who doesn't know what that is, can you tell us a little bit more? Yes. Well, Vegan Lady Boss is a global group of vegan women who come together in meetings to discuss things to advance their animal advocacy and their careers. So it was November of 2016. 2016 was a very fertile year for me, apparently. (laughs) I birthed two things. Um, And it was post-election. And I had all this energy coming off of that. And I wanted to channel it. And I didn't realize at the time that I was creating something that was going to grow so incredibly fast. I just thought, I want a space where I can be with other vegan women because we are living in a patriarchal society. perhaps now in more clear relief than ever. And we're living in a speciesist and carnist society. And it can wear you down and it can cause burnout. It can cause compassion fatigue. Um, And I wanted a space where I could get together with vegan women and talk about things that could move the needle in both of those areas that I thought that there there were injustices and and room, room for evolution. So I got together with five friends at my apartment And I told them this idea and I told them the name Vegan Lady Boss. And I asked them, you know, what do you think about this and what are you looking for? Um, And just that evening, we had this really vibrant conversation about what it's like to be a vegan woman today and the things that are challenges and unique challenges as vegan women. And I realized that there was something there, that I wanted it for my life. They wanted it for their lives. And so I created this model um, that is essentially a meeting structure that brings people together and makes sure that their time is very well spent. So this is this flat structure now where we recently went global. We we went from just a New York City meeting uh, to going global this past March. I guess I just thought I didn't need more sleep. I don't know why I took on this massive project, but I did. And we now have uh, almost 3,000 women participating in 10 countries and over six continents and interest from many, many more countries, about a dozen more. And we've equipped women to organize their own meetings. I don't need to be there. This isn't a top-down structure. It's flat, and it can grow very quickly because everything is easily followed and replicable. Um, so essentially what my vision was, was that there could be a vegan lady boss meeting anywhere at any time. And if you're in Paris or if you're in Dallas or if you're in New York City, the meeting, you know what to expect. It's almost like a yoga class. If you go to, uh, you know, a particular type of yoga class here or in L.A. or, or Dubai, you know that it's going to be the same structure mm-hmm. for the most part. It's similar to that. It, it's always free. And uh, and I just wanted this space that could empower and support vegan women. 
And have you found that people, obviously you found that people needed it. You found that women wanted it. It wouldn't have grown otherwise. But what kind of success stories have you seen come out of it? Because I'm assuming it's been going on for, you said it's gone global since earlier March, this year. Yeah. Um, I, I heard one of your biggest groups is in Singapore. Yes. Um, and did was that because you knew people there? And how did that come about, just, just organically? I do not know a soul in Singapore. <laughs> I love you, Singapore. I love you, vegan lady bosses. I don't know any of you. I can't wait to meet you. Um, no, I think that... Um, Oh gosh, I forgot your question. Like, I got distracted. Yeah, by so I was asking about success stories, but really, <laughs> yes, what, success what, stories. what what do you what have you heard from women who's, who participated, who've oh, come yeah. back? Um, what are they getting out of it that they didn't even realize they would when going in? Because the fact that it succeeded tells me something that's happening in those meetings uh, is 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 good enough that people want to go back and then bring more people on board. Um, so maybe you didn't even realize this when you were starting off, but. That this was beyond just you and your few friends who wanted to meet. There was a big need for this out there. And so maybe for yeah. people who don't quite understand how that has evolved, I think that would be really interesting. Yeah. So I'll start by talking about the design. I, I designed it to be impactful. All of us have limited time, and I don't like my time being wasted. And I often don't go to events because I'm afraid that, that it's going to you know not be the best use of my time. I'm very careful about what I do. So... I wanted to make sure that I honored everyone's time by creating a structure that was able to be followed really closely and clearly so that each part of the meeting was designed to be of benefit to the attendees. So it's a three-part structure. And uh, I can go through that or I can discuss success stories. But I think that when I describe the structure, you'll understand what people get out of it. Yeah, um, go for it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. And anyone's listening can can just, you know, contact us and we'll set you up. You can also just listen and hear how it, how we do it and do it yourself. Um, so it begins with coming together and we go around the group and share our what we do, our names, and our going vegan stories. And the reason for that is it's really good practice to tell your going vegan story in a, in a short period of time. We time it. We have a timer. <laughs> Uh, and a little, you know, alarm goes off after 20 seconds. Yet only 20 seconds to say who you are, what you do, and you're going vegan story. That's cool. Um, it's really good practice to tell that story and not the 20-minute version because most people don't want to hear that version. They just want to hear the quick one. And and it also uh, sows seeds of hope because for many people coming to that meeting, they're the only vegan they know. <laughs> There are people who come, they know maybe one other person, they're the only vegan in their family, they're the only vegan in their office, and boom, they're in a room with 40, 60 people who all also went vegan. And it's it's incredibly um, inspiring to hear the going vegan stories. And it reminds us that anyone can go vegan any anywhere, anytime for a variety of reasons. So it keeps people really hopeful and prevents compassion fatigue and burnout. Then we transition to a discussion topic, which generally has an exercise go that goes along with it. And the topics are related either to animal advocacy or professional development. And I just alternate it every month for our New York City meetings. I organize our New York City meetings. Um, so, for instance, for animal advocacy, uh, a topic could be how to create a welcoming vegan community. And we talk about that. Um, and we, and then for professional development, it could be knowing your worth, how to be sure that you're asking for the amount that you uh, deserve to be paid and how to have those conversations about money. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we do that. We discuss that. And then the end, the third part, the asks is I think why some people come just for this part. So at the end, we go around the room and we share one thing we're looking forward to, which can be a plug for a vegan event or for your company or for anything at all. 
And then we ask, everyone has the opportunity to ask for something they're looking for, which could be absolutely anything. So it could be, oh, I'm looking for um, a graphic designer. I need a vegan makeup idea. I need a... I'm looking for an apartment. I'm looking for a partner, anything. People ask for all kinds of things. But a lot of the asks are career related. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people find what they're looking for when they do that. Because you are in a room with 40, 60, 80 smart, driven women who are there to support and empower you, right? And so um, if you are looking for uh, a new client for your digital marketing services, there will probably be three or four people who could help you with that, who could assist Mm -hmm. you with that. And so what we do is rather than um, we time it as well, only (laughs) it depends how many people in the room, but generally 20 seconds. Um, And then if someone has a lead on the ask, they raise their hand and then you connect with that person after rather than going off on a tangent during because, my goodness, with that many people in the room, you can't just you mm-hmm. can't just go off on conversations. Um, so that that has been really what's led to a lot of success stories. I mean, we're talking about people being on television because of it. Yeah, we've had two two vegan lady bosses on uh, Susie Welch's uh, NBC, NBC, NBC's uh, Susie Welch helped fix my career. Which is amazing, um, but we we've had so many different wins from it, and it's anything from people saying, you know, I came in today feeling really down and feeling really mm. defeated, and I walked out being like, yes, I've got this. The future is bright. Like I just feel like a different person when I leave the meetings. I hear that a lot. I hear people say they come just to recharge their batteries. That it's <laughs> it's the highlight of their month. So that's a win. But mm-hmm. but there are also concrete success stories about people, you know. Be uh, submitting recipes to cookbooks or um, sharing about uh, finding speakers, finding panelists, finding apartments, finding partners, finding real estate agents, finding anything. I mean, when you think about when you're you're looking for something and and you're like, gosh, what's the next step? Well, for us, it's like, oh, yeah, I'll just ask at the vegan lady boss meeting this month. And I just have a list of things where I'm like, yeah, I could use some assistance with that. I know I could find someone through that. And actually, it's how I met uh, Audrey Suarez, who's Mm. our community director. And she has done so many amazing things since coming to Vegan Lady Boss meeting. And she came and she said to me, when I came to my first meeting, uh, I was invited by someone who showed up late. So she wasn't there. So I walked in the door. I didn't know anyone. And I looked around and I I thought about leaving because there's a lot of social anxiety that comes from that. And she stayed and we met and we talked and I ended up hiring her. And now she's the community director, which (laughs) is like so awesome. And she started a creative agency. Wow. So, yeah, we see people not only finding jobs, but also, mm-hmm. you know, progressing their ventures and also highlighting and, and supporting the work of whatever not for profit they might be. Because mm-hmm. people in Vegan Lady Boss are in all stages of their, of their career. They're in the for profit. They're in the not for profit. So it's a really vibrant and diverse community, which support one another. I mean, I see the diversity and I see how it makes us stronger. Yeah. I, to- I After you hearing you describe this, the format, I think I understand the genius of it because there's many reasons for that. Firstly, you can undermine the importance of community. At the end of the day, um, for a lot of people who are b- maybe are not part of the plant-based food revolution that's happening right now, or clean meat plus plant-based food revolution, don't understand that this whole movement as such has been built on community and relationships. Um, we mentioned Chris before. We mentioned Bruce uh, people have uh, there's many 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 more names who have, of people who've who are what, people who are animal advocates and then transitioned into becoming investors or leaders of new nonprofits um some of them are starting companies 
this has only happened because of the sense of community and the relationships that people have built over years because we all share the same passion uh, and that once and the same passion and the same purpose in life. Uh, we go about it in different ways, but we at least on the, are on the same page when it comes to those those two things. Uh, and then I'm able to leverage each other's connections and skills and uh, just share ideas. And that's, if you want to know why plant-based food has become the next big thing in the last few years, it is because of that community. And I don't think people from who are outside of that world get how um, how much has it this been as a result of just people and their relationships with each other? So firstly, community, you can't undermine the importance of that. It'll continue to play a bigger role going forward. Of course, now you have big money and <laughs> big food, uh, big investors involved, and things will change and shift. But the spark was lit by people who got together and decided, hey, we can change the world. And we, if we can help each other out and we can support each other, we can make amazing things happen. So firstly, com community makes amazing things happen. Secondly, the genius of what you're doing is the structure. Because there has been, you know, there have been many meetup groups. Uh, there's other ways you can form small online groups, whether it's a Facebook group. Uh, the problem I've always noticed about a lot of those things is that they lack structure and direction. And as a result of which, they kind of become anything and everything. Um, and you can still become everything, but the structure is what people gets people to focus and be very clear about what they want to give and what they want to get out of every meeting, which I think is is absolutely brilliant. The way you've structured it, the, the time limits, the fact that you first get to... Uh, the fact that you even have a time limit for your initial introduction is great because it keeps people from rambling for too long. But secondly, for those who may be uh, socially not as uh, bold... Uh, allows them to just keep things simple and get their point across as well. So everyone wins in the process, the introverts as well as the extroverts. And then, of course, you can't you know, deny that um, the fact that this is focused on women and the fact that you started this uh, right after the election, but before the Me Too movement. And in some ways, you know, I've, I've read and heard a lot about the Me Too movement. People say a lot of it really began because of what happened with the election. Um, but you kind of saw that early on and were sparked to do something um, and to get people together and empower people. There's nothing better than connecting people, empowering them, and then seeing that organically become something way bigger than what you or anyone else who first thought of this could even imagine. And I guess I'm assuming you've not set this up to be some sort of a uh, a, a profit-making entity. It is, it is an idea. Uh, you've kind of created that the DNA for the idea, and now it's kind of up to it to evolve and become whatever it becomes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> thus far, it's a profit-losing entity <laughs> um, funded by me. Um, but yes, it's it's growing like wildfire, and I had no idea. And you hear this so much from entrepreneurs, and I feel very entrepreneurial about it because they say if I had known how much work this was going to be, I probably wouldn't have done it. Mm. I don't feel that way about Vegan Lady Boss, but I am shocked at how quickly it's picking up. And a lot of the work is answering interest emails and questions from organizers because we're getting up to 100 a day. Wow. 100 a day. Yeah. So uh, we just got someone reaching out to us from Jordan. Um, yes. It's <laughs> places that I, I – I mean, I'm embarrassed to say I have to look up on a map. It's like <laughs> – 
I can't believe this is happening. I love that this is happening. Mm-hmm. I love the work. I don't need to sleep. I, and and I have Audrey <laughs> as well, who's amazing. Yeah. And and um, it's an idea whose time had come. Uh-huh. And it was true for me that I needed it. And it just so happened to be true for other people. Yeah. And you can easily see the meeting structure continue to be organic and free and uh, have its own life. Uh, but if this, I'm not gonna, I'm not giving you ideas. I'm sure people have given you way more ideas than this. But I could easily see this as becoming a, a space in each city where you could almost think of starting some sort of business coaching and incubator. You know, you never know. You could use vegan. I'm not saying you, but I think the whole movement could use vegan lady boss as a way to seed potential entrepreneurs, um, give them business ideas, give them the skills and knowledge that they need. Uh, to then raise money and start something of their own, I I definitely think there's a lot of um, uh, there's a lot of white space there. You go to people people go to college and they graduate college and and typically ha- are sitting uh, with a, a ton in in debt because of all the uh, the fees and and the costs of going to college in this country. And so the temptation is to go get a job. Luckily, now there are a lot of jobs in uh, in the food space. If you are interested in plant-based or clean meat, um, you can also become an activist. You can join a nonprofit. But many people want have that entrepreneurial bone in them, and they have that little spark to go and do something on their own. But it is tough right out of college to try to figure out where to get started. Few people are able to do that uh, because they have the right, again, the right structure and connections and community around them. I can totally see this as becoming one way, and this is not for everyone, but those that have a dream. And I'm not just saying starting food companies, whether it's being an artist, a performer, whatever you can do, whatever skills you can bring to the table um, to bring about a, the, a better food movement is possible, I'm assuming, through Vegan Lady Boss. Not just food, of course, you can do fashion and other things as well. Yeah, I think so. And I'm seeing it already. I see people come to meetings and talk about the businesses that they've started. And I see people distribute whatever it is, a green cleaning supplies, you know, bring a sample for everyone in the meeting. And they're launching their business. They're, they're meeting their co-founders of their next business. And I know it's happening. Um, I see it in the New York meetings. And of course, I don't get to see that in every other meeting that's happening right now. But I know it is. It, it, the meetings turn into whatever it is that the person's looking for and then some. As mm-hmm. long as people come with a clear direction, they can generally get so much more than they ever expected. Sometimes people come and they're like, oh, I don't have an ask. And that's fine. Yeah. They don't have to. But for people who are really clear, like, I'm looking for my co-founder and this is my idea and, you know, who wants to talk about this with me? Yeah. Or I just launched my business and I'm going to start doing coaching sessions for free for eight vegan lady bosses. The first eight who sign up, you're going to get free eight week coaching session. And I see it happening and it's so exciting. Yeah. Anyone moving to a new city or oh, uh, yeah. recruiting for a, a company, a job or trying to get a job. I totally see different ways and this can, this can evolve and become um it can take away more of your sleep uh, in the next few years. But, That's quite all right. Uh, I think it's it's really fascinating. I, mean, I It's one of those ideas that you don't know you need until you see it and you realize, oh, wow, how come no one else has tried to do things like that? And I can see this. Um, I, I really I really think it's a smart idea, and especially the structure. I, mean, I, I didn't really know much about the structure, so le- learning about that really made sense to me about, oh, I see now. This isn't just a bunch of people sitting in a room and, and talking about random things. You're giving them at least certain direction, and then they're free to go take that and, and be friends and hang out and do whatever. Yeah, it's very structured. And some people for their first meeting, if they don't have a debriefing, are a little bit surprised. <laughs> but most people appreciate that yeah. because they've been to meetups before and they can go to 
and which are great. And they can go to vegan drinks, which is great. Mm-hmm. But this is not that. Yeah. This is fun, but it's not about having fun. It's about this purpose and direction and for people to be connected, supported, inspired, and to advance their careers and to advance their animal advocacy. And I want to see measurable results. I won't just settle. You know, it yeah. needs to be impactful. Yeah. And see, this is tying back to, you know, our earlier discussion about the the way you grew up and being involved in business, being surrounded by people who were trying to empower you and your siblings and people in your family to be the next leaders of Smarties Company. I think in some um, cosmic way, you're kind of doing that now, whether it's through your investments or, or kind of through the community you're starting to build. Um, you're in New York with, with Vegan Lady Boss, but globally without even your direct involvement. So in, in some ways, I think things just don't happen accidentally. Yeah, you're seeing a lot of things that I didn't see, but I, I agree with you. And and I love that what what's happening with Vegan Lady Boss in particular is that women are becoming leaders, the leaders who they were always able to be, more of the leaders who they already were. And I'm seeing it. You know, when I discussed the structure, one thing that really is apparent is there is a lot of public speaking involved. Public speaking is a lot of people's number one fear. People mm-hmm. fear public speaking for the most part more than they fear death. And I know I, I fear public speaking, even though I do it all the time. Um, but all of us, every meeting, get over that fear and practice it in a way that maybe we don't even realize we're being trained to practice it. And so people are getting better at the skills that are going to allow them to excel in their advocacy and excel in their careers. Yeah, it'll be exciting to see years from now what seeds have been sown because of uh, these little groups around uh, the country and around the world. Uh, who knows, you may have the next big CEO of uh, a food company, a fashion company, or and literally anything uh born out of this and wouldn't that be exciting yes i hope so and i think so <laughs> <laughs> so what are your do you have any specific goals for uh both the in, impact investment that you're doing as well as for vegan lady boss are you um i've i've gathered you're very numbers oriented so i'm sure you have also you also make plans where, where do you see this in the next few years like what's your what was what would be your wish for this in the next few years well for Belen and Bjorn Capital. Mm-hmm. I, we already know how much we're going to be investing in the next year. Every year we decide what we're going to invest for the next year, and it is largely determined by the income that we're able to make from the year prior. Um, but for the next few years, if we could fill our portfolio with plant-based fish companies, that would be my dream come true. Is it going to happen? Likely not. But uh, for those of you developing plant-based aquatic animal products, reach out to us, uh, Um And then for Vegan Lady Boss, I want to continue to support this growth. It has not even been six months since going global, and we're already on every continent but Antarctica. So for right now, I just want to make sure that we really support those women who are pioneers in their cities, in their towns as organizers, and make sure that they're equipped with everything that they need to have impactful meetings in their area. And uh, and so supporting the growth right now is our number one, and it's probably going to be at least a year doing that. But I do have a phase two planned, which I'm not, I can't share with you right now. I'm sorry. Right. Uh, but I do, I do have some plans for how to make this sustainable. Yeah. No, I'm sure you do. Um, and if you look far ahead, say, um, you know, I give the year 2050, uh, about 32 years from now, what is your vision? If we all, you know, if you get it right, everyone else who is starting companies, investing in them, participating in Vegan Lady Boss, uh, helping each other out to 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 
create this better food system. What's your vision for the year 2050? If we get it right, if we, if we change the food system, what does that food system look like? Gosh, if we get it right, we will have avoided so much needless suffering that we're experiencing right now. And people won't necessarily need to identify as vegan or vegetarian or flexitarian or reducitarian. They're going to make vegan choices because the products are better. And that's really the thesis of our investment. We invest in companies creating products that are superior to their animal alternatives to get animals out of the supply chain. They don't belong there. They're not units of production. So in 2050, if everything goes right, then the innovation wins. That's how we win. And people are eating that veggie burger, not even necessarily thinking that it's a veggie burger. Just like, you know, before I ate things not because they... I ate them because they tasted good. I ate them in spite of how they were produced. And I think that people are going to be eating the things that taste good, that are accessible, that are the right price, that they understand, and they're not going to think about how it's produced. Not everyone needs to think about this. This doesn't need to be their life's passion. But those products are going to be so much better that they will have displaced animal products altogether. And it's going to save the earth. You know, it's going to save the oceans. Scientists are predicting by 2048 they're going to be there's going to be no aquatic life in the sea. Mm-hmm. So we need to stop that now. And uh, this is this is my way of trying to do that. Liz, you're really an inspiration. Everything you do from uh, the investment, the reasons you started impact investing, the community building you're doing right now, and I'm sure, and the activism you've done in the past, which I've never done. Uh, we're going to do it. We're going to do it together. Um, All right, you hear that, everyone? <laughs> Nell's going to do it. <laughs> I'll be on the streets of New York or any city you want. Okay, um, good. But I just I think it's so amazing. You bring so much energy to space. You bring so much positivity. And I think uh, if if we can continue continue to empower others to do the same, uh, we're all going to be in a much better place years from now. So um, maybe in twenty fifty, you're going to be sleeping even less because you'll have ten other projects you'll be doing. So probably, yeah. So thank you, Liz. This has been uh, this has been a, a lot of fun for me. I'm so glad we finally got. time to sit down and chat today Um, and I look forward to having you back on to talk about any new projects that you're launching me too thank you so much Nell it's been really fun you've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. 
Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.